few weeks ago we celebrated Pentecost, our annual remembrance of that time when the Holy Spirit was first bestowed on Jesus' followers. Now Jesus had told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But in today's passage, we go back to an earlier time in Jesus' ministry, where we find Jesus emphasizing the significance of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of Mark opens with John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, and he told the people that after me comes the one more powerful. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As chapter 1 continues, we find the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus' life, actively supporting and empowering his ministry. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism and strengthens him to withstand the 40 days of testing in the wilderness. Jesus is empowered to drive out impure spirits and heal people. And Jesus begins to attract crowds. He also attracts the attention of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because he is healing on the Sabbath and eating with sinners. Immediately before today's passage, Jesus selects his first disciples and calls them to follow. So we come now to today's scripture passage from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. I'll begin reading at verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven for all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. 
Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. If you recall, our reading started with Jesus entering a house. Now scholars are pretty sure that Jesus was most likely at the home of Simon and Andrew in Capernaum. Because back in chapter 1, we are told that Jesus was preaching in the synagogue at Capernaum, and that he then healed Simon's mother-in-law in their home. At the beginning of chapter 2, Jesus was in Capernaum again, where it says, a crowd gathered. Now today's passage says the crowd gathers again. In fact, this time the crowd is so large that the disciples don't even have room to eat. Now Jesus' family has heard reports of his unorthodox activities, and they fear he is out of his mind. So they set out from Nazareth to go to Capernaum to pull him back into the family fold and protect him from himself. Now, for many of us, we're used to families being spread out and living in other states, even other countries. Perhaps there are family members we haven't seen for years. In our society, we often have friends who are closer than some of our family members. The greeting card industry even recognizes this, and I have received cards from friends suggesting that we have become like sisters. But in Jesus' world, families are a tightly bound unit across generations. Adult children lived near their parents, usually engaging in the family business. And so Jesus' family intends to bring him back home where he belongs. Now, besides the crowd, there's another group present, the Jewish teachers of the law. And they have their own concerns about Jesus. They have observed Jesus in supposed acts of blasphemy, in eating with sinners, healing on the Sabbath, and casting out evil spirits. Their accusation at the moment is that he is possessed by Beelzebul, a Syrian god. Jesus is accused by the Jewish leaders of being aligned with another god and of having power from the prince of demons. False accusations. And yet, don't some of us do that? We judge people by their words and deeds, sometimes too quickly without understanding the total picture. Have you ever been accused of saying things you didn't say, doing things you didn't do, or being someone you aren't? You've probably heard that saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And yet words do hurt especially when they are false and unkind. It shows that others have not cared to understand you. 
I remember being in a situation in which, from my point of view, I was putting myself out to be caring and helpful and kind, only to find out later that someone had come to very negative and hurtful assumptions about my actions and motivations. Perhaps you have had similar hurts. Well, Jesus must feel this same sting of false accusations. The scribes present two charges against him, being possessed by Satan and using the powers of the prince of demons to drive demons out of people. Jesus begins by responding to the second charge. He uses logic to point out the fallacy in their arguments. He says it doesn't make sense for evil to destroy itself. Satan fighting against Satan? On a political level, that's like a kingdom divided and fighting itself. Civil war makes a country more vulnerable to outside invasion. It's like a royal family divided against each other they become more vulnerable to a takeover. And maybe you know from personal experience how on an everyday household level, conflict within a family tears people apart. If Satan is destroying himself, he weakens himself before the forces of good. United in purpose makes us stronger. Before addressing the other charge, that Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, we find a scripture gem that we often overlook because we continue reading too fast to the end of the sentence. Jesus reminds everyone about the magnanimous grace of God. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. All our sins, every slander we utter, no matter how far we fall short, how often we fall short, God stands ready to receive us back and forgive. Are we as ready to forgive? I'm sometimes appalled at the quick condemnations and unkind name-calling I see in the political arena and on social media. As Christians, we should stop and think whether something is true, necessary, and a loving response before we make judgments or charge people with offenses that may not be true before we label people with derisive nicknames that are not entirely fair. We should always be asking ourselves, are we living up to the standard Jesus has laid out for us? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God stands ready to forgive all sins. He waits for us to turn back to him, to be repentant, and to recommit our lives to him. 
And yet Jesus now says there is one eternal sin. Truly I tell you, he started that sentence with, and that wording was a signal that what followed was of utmost importance. He wanted the people to understand the seriousness of the charge of that false accusation. Now at the particular moment of scripture, Jesus is speaking to the scribes who accused him of being possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. To them, he says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. A question for those scribes and for us is where does Jesus' authority come from? The sin is in not recognizing and acknowledging who Jesus is, ever. The sin is in not recognizing who Jesus is aligned with. The sin is to reject the power of God's healing and forgiveness over and over. If we truly know Jesus, we would never mistake the source of his power. Jesus is not possessed by Beelzebul. Jesus has the Holy Spirit. The passage now cycles back around to what was happening at the opening. Jesus' family has now arrived to take him back home. Someone says, your mother and brothers are looking for you. Our story within a story that has just occurred sets the stage for Jesus' surprising redefinition of family. He has just addressed this group of scribes who fail to understand him. When I think of what a family should be, I think of being in a place with special people who know most of my faults and strengths, idiosyncrasies and annoying habits, who understand my passions and beliefs, and still love and accept me. Jesus' family is standing outside, not understanding who he is. Within, Jesus is among a circle who eagerly desire to hear his word and receive healing in their lives. Jesus asks, who is my family? He looks at the crowd around him, He considers his biological family outside and gives a surprising answer, a shocking answer in the culture of that time. Jesus identifies a new family. He defines God's family as all those who gather around him to hear God's word and then do God's will. Consider this passage as a whole. On the outside is Jesus' family who do not understand him and want to pull him away from his ministry. Also on the outside are the teachers of the law, experts in scripture, yet they also don't understand Jesus and want to discredit and detain him. But on the inside 
is the crowd eager to hear God's will for their lives. And so we are asked, who is our family? It's easy for some of us to become comfortable with life on this earth, with friendships and memberships, home and work schedules, leisure activities, kids' activities. Life becomes a pull from one direction and another, a struggle of doing our will. But as Christians, we must regularly evaluate our loyalty to Jesus and to the family of God. What is God's will for our lives? Mark clearly tells us who is outside the family and who is on the inside. As a church family here at First Christian, we are in the midst of a time of change. In fact, I considered choosing United We Stand as my sermon title because many of you have already been in discussion about what has been, what is, and what could be. You have discussed possible changes and have formed opinions about what is important to you and to the congregation as a whole. You are seeking a new pastor to lead this congregation forward. And yet, no matter what decisions the congregation votes to accept, the church will be stronger if everyone stands by those decisions. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. God is calling us to a new allegiance, not to this world, but to God's kingdom. And God's word assures us of who Jesus is, that Jesus has the Holy Spirit, not an unclean spirit, that Jesus' power comes from above, not from demons, and that Jesus has the authority to form a new family unit, the family of God. Jesus' question remains, who is my family? Are you inside or outside the family? Do you accept Jesus as the one in whom God's will is at work? And will you go and do the will of God? Let us pray. O oh, loving God, we come before you this morning, and sometimes your words are easy and sometimes they are hard. We hear today that we must always be sure that we are aligned with the Holy Spirit, 
that we always know that you are aligned with the Holy Spirit, that we need to stand united in purpose before you so that we can be strengthened to do your work here on earth. And so we ask you to continue to strengthen us, to continue to help us to grow ever more like you, that we can show others what your love looks like. We lift up all these prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn of commitment is number 486.